weeks or so, we have been trying to look at some very fundamental, basic Bible doctrines, um, kind of keep us organized through that. I've been uh, using a song as kind of our roadmap. That's uh, because he lives. And so the first line of that is God sent his son. And so we spent about four sermons just looking at God, the God of the Bible. What does he reveal about himself, his his wonderful and unique attributes, his character, his goodness and his wrath against sin. And we took a week and tried to give an overview of the whole Bible in one sermon. It was a little rushed. And then we spent the last three weeks looking at creation and the fall in the garden and the subsequent fallout that's affected every single human and our what we refer to as the total depravity of man or the complete corruption of man. And it's really been looking at the why because God sent His Son. Well, why? Because of the corruption, because of the fall, because of sin. And so this morning, what Lord willing we'll be looking at is... Uh, Two expressions or titles that we find throughout the Gospels, one being the Son of God and the other being the Son of Man. Okay. In the Old Testament, in Psalm 2, we see this is a psalm pointing to the Christ, the Messiah. The Lord speaking, he says, yet... Will I declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So, the Lord said unto me. Well, the me there, that's the Christ, the Messiah. That's Jesus saying, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, or bore thee. So this is one of the first glimpses we have into the concept of, of the Son of God. Um, it'd show up again in Proverbs 30 and verse 4. It says, Who hath descended into the heaven? Who hath ascended, gone up into heaven, or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If thou canst tell. And then later, the only other place that I could find where the actual expression, the Son of God, appears is actually in the book of Daniel. And this is in, you know, children, you all know this story. Three young men lived very long ago. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? These were um, men who had been taken as young boys captive to Babylon. They had been promoted to be uh, political leaders. Um, and when Nebuchadnezzar gave the order that y'all need to bow down to this idol or we'll kill you, they said, no. They said, our Lord is able to deliver us. They didn't say, he's going to deliver us. They said, he's able. And they're thrown into the fire. And as Nebuchadnezzar is looking in the fire, this is Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. Um, as they're in the fire, I remember this fire is so hot that the guys who chunked them in died. Then we get too close to a bonfire, it just kind of feels like it's singeing your face. Okay, This was so hot, you're trying to chunk some more wood on the fire, in this case it was men, and you died. Okay, Hot blaze. And Nebuchadnezzar... Look, he said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I've read some commentaries that say this. What he's speaking there is in Chaldee. Um, it's not Hebrew, and so you could also literally translate that as like a son of the gods. So whether this is a direct reference to um, Jesus in a pre-incarnate form, I don't know. Later, Nebuchadnezzar um, would describe it as being an angel. Down in 28, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him 
and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. And then he gave a decree that no one would speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because no other god could deliver after this sort. But either way, you've got this concept of a son of God. Okay? So we'll go forward to the New Testament. And we're going to see, starting at, let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 1. And in verse 26, this is when the angel Gabriel is going to visit Mary. Mary's engaged to Joseph. They're not married yet. Um, She is a virgin. Her cousin, uh, Elizabeth, is six months pregnant with John the Baptist. In the sixth month, that's referring to, the angel of Gabriel... The angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came into her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation or greeting this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua is a compound word. It's an abbreviation of Jehovah and saves. It literally means God saves. That's his name. Okay. So the angel tells him that's what you'll call him. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom of his kingdom there shall be. No end. Son of the highest, given the throne of David with an everlasting kingdom. Mary is obviously a little confused. Says, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Son of God. Now, the second person in the Trinity, the Word, is God. You see that in John. We won't flip there, but in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay. When the Word came to earth to be born of a virgin, when he was called the Son of God. Okay. You know, in Mark. That's actually how he would start his gospel. It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Son of God. So I want to look at quite a few spots in the gospels where Jesus is going to be declared to be the Son of God. And the significance of this is is fairly obvious that he is different from every other man. He is God. He is divine. And so when we're talking about the Son of God, we are talking about something that is unique. And we're really pointing about His divine nature. Okay, Son of God. So the first one, um, I guess if you're thinking of it chronologically, would be John the Baptist. You know, after the angels declared that he's going to be called the Son of God, John the Baptist, when he uh, before he baptized Jesus, he had been given a prophecy from the Lord that said when uh, the Holy Spirit comes and descends on one, um, that's the one. That's the Christ. And so we're going to see that in John chapter 1, verse 32. And John bare record, he gave witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode on him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, that will be God, the same said unto me, 
upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw, he saw that it did happen. When he was baptized, the Holy Ghost came down in the form of a dove and rested upon Jesus. He said, and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Okay? So John the Baptist, bear record that he was the Son of God. Next up would be uh, Nathaniel. Uh, Philip goes and finds Nathaniel, same chapter, now verse 45, and says, We found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He's saying, We found the Christ. And Nathaniel's a little skeptical. He says, Is there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. Nathaniel, wondering how he knew him, said, you know, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. And Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. So what did Jesus demonstrate to him? And he had supernatural knowledge. Knowledge that no man could, could, ha could have of, of an occurrence that no one would have could have given, couldn't have given him that recon in advance. He knew where he was sitting before Philip. And that was enough for Nathaniel to acknowledge him as being the Son of God and the King of Israel. And Jesus says, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. After he was baptized, he would be uh, led away into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Go back to Luke chapter 4. Do you know what the devil would ask him, tempting him? He'd say this expression on two of the three times. Luke 4 uh, and verse 3. Let me just start in verse 1. Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, where John had just baptized him, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, afterwards he hungered. So... Devil wasn't actively tempting him during the 40 days. He was fasting, had nothing to eat or drink for 40 days. And then the devil came when he's physically at his weakest. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Jesus answered, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. He tempted him again. Let me go down to the, the third one. He'd ask him again. And when he, he set him on the pinnacle of the temple, brought him up to the top of the tall building, he said, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time they dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So in two of these temptations, he is challenging Jesus to prove it. We'll see later that the children of the devil, the religious leaders who rejected Jesus, will use the same tactic. Prove it. If thou be the Christ, the Son of God, come down from the cross. Right? So the devil is, is challenging it. Jesus doesn't give in to have to prove himself and he rebuts him with the word kids there's a good lesson in that you're going to have folks throughout your life who are going to challenge you to prove it often they're just appealing to your pride if you know something to be true you don't have to prove it to them you can see, keep yourself out of a lot of trouble you can remember that Now, Satan's underlings, the devils, they could see and recognize, and they would plainly declare it. Luke 4 and 41, the devils came out of many, crying and saying, Thou art Christ. Christ means the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer. Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them, suffering them not to speak, for they knew, for they knew that he was the Christ. So they recognized it. He told them to keep their peace. Same thing would happen with the wild Gadarean who was possessed with legion. 
Legion being the whole multitude of demons. This is Luke 8 and 28. When, they, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment thee not. Okay. John the Baptist recognized it. Nathaniel was able to believe and recognize. The devil tried very hard to tempt him with that reality, to challenge it. The underlings of the devil would plainly declare it, though he silenced them. And then later, Jesus himself would affirmatively reveal himself to individuals that he was the Son of God. If you go to John chapter 9, there was a man who was born blind. And his disciples, when they first saw him, were having a conversation about, you know, who, who sinned that he was born blind? Was it him? Was it his parents? And Jesus said, it was neither, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. So he healed him, and then uh, the religious leaders were very upset, um, and they wanted to rebuke him. And uh, I mean, this, is, this is something that's unique, because there had been people who had been healed of blindness before this, but this is one who has been born blind. And in verse 32 it says, Since the world began, it was not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. And this is the blind man, or now seeing man, defending himself to the scribes. He says, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. And they answered and said unto him, Thou wast also together born in his sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. And so the religious leaders didn't like being having the truth told to them. And so they cast him out. And when Jesus heard that they had cast him out of the, the temple, he went and found him. And he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And the blind man said, formerly blind, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? He hadn't seen Jesus before, right? When he healed him, he was still blind. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. He's acknowledging he is the Son of God. Go again to John chapter 11. after demonstrating a miracle that no one had ever seen in the history of the world, he's about to demonstrate another miracle um, of similar magnitude. This is John chapter 11. This involves his buddy Lazarus, who was sick. And they sent word unto him while he was still alive, saying, Come on, we need help. Lord, behold, whom he who thou lovest is sick. This is the message his sister sent. And Jesus heard that. He said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And so he deliberately waited until Lazarus was dead for several days, three days, so that when he came to the tomb, their response was, Lord, by now he stinks. And that's when he chose to raise him from the dead, to demonstrate a miracle. This is not, you're still on the table, your heart just stopped, let's get the paddles kind of dead. Um, this is not even the... the resurrection that was at the funeral in Nain where they're carrying the, the, the body out to be buried. You know, that's a relatively fresh dead. Um, and you know, the poor widow there who had no other son, she was going to be destitute and he had pity on her and raised the son for her benefit. But this is one who's been dead a while. By now his body started to decompose. And he, he demonstrates this miracle that the Son of God might be glorified. And he was. So he's demonstrating his divine power. Right? Later uh, in Matthew chapter 14, uh, all the apostles would acknowledge it when you have Jesus walking on the water. Um, that was Matthew 14. I say later. It's probably earlier in time chronologically. Um, but he had sent them out across the sea. He'd stayed behind. And it's not until the fourth watch that he comes walking across the sea to catch up with them. He was going to pass on by, but they cried out thinking it was a spirit. Um, and, you know, Peter pops off and says, if it be thou, bid me come out on the water with me. He says, come, and he does, and it's going okay until Peter takes his eyes off the Lord and he starts to sink. 
And uh, Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him. This is uh, Matthew 14 and 31. It says, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, so Jesus and Peter now enter back into the ship, the wind ceased. It had been boisterous. It had been preventing them from making it all the way across. It shouldn't have taken them that long. And they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Okay? He demonstrated his divine ability over all creation that what should sink didn't, and he had control over the winds and the waves. And the apostles acknowledged that he was the Son of God. Now, the religious leaders did not like anything that he said that uh, made it seem like he was the Son of God. They really were upset by that. Go to John chapter uh, 5. Because this is not just some honorary title. This is not a figure of speech. Jesus has just healed a man. This is John chapter 5. Um, but it was the Sabbath day, and so they were upset by that. Uh, the man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. So they're upset. Here's his response. Jesus answered unto them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but also, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. They understood the significance. This is not a light thing. They really didn't like it, but that's what it meant. He's making himself equal with God, and he had the right to. John chapter 10 and 24. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Now he's done a multitude of miracles at this point. He's demonstrated over and over when John the Baptist was you know, wondering, you know, are you the one we look for? You know, he gave his disciples the answers of, look at all the things I've just done. The blind are healed, the lame are walking, and the poor are having the gospel preached unto them. They've seen all those things too, but they don't believe. And Jesus answered, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. He said, all the works, they speak for themselves, but you believe not. Ye believe not, because you're not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. What was the Jews' reaction? They took up stones. They're ready to kill him right there. Jesus answered, For many good works have I shown you from my Father. For which of these works do you show, stone me? done many miracles. Which one are you going to, just so we're clear, which one are you about to hurl rocks at me for? And these are not little pebbles. I mean, just imagine a honking rock that will kill you. The Jews answered, for a good work we stone thee not. He said, well, don't get us wrong. We're not killing you for miracles. But for blasphemy, because thou being a man, makest thyself God. Revealest thyself, God, is probably more accurate. Later, the religious leaders would get uh, very upset while they're um, having their little mock trial. Let's see, in Luke 22, 67. in their council and they're asking, Luke 22, 67 says, Art thou the Christ? Tell us! And he said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man, talk about that later, sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, 
They start clamoring their questions. Art thou the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. Now if you look in the account over in Mark 14 and 62, their question is, thou, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So he acknowledged it to them. They didn't like it. And in fact, they would continue to mock him, as we mentioned earlier, Matthew uh, 27, when he's hanging on the cross, that would be the charge that they threw back at him. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Y'all, we'd be in really bad shape if Jesus had chosen to reveal right then, to prove a point, that he was the, cross, the Son of God by coming down from the cross. But for our sakes and all the sakes of his children, he didn't. He remained. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Don't let anyone deceive you in saying that Jesus didn't declare himself to be the son of God. There are many false teachers out there who will try to make that case that Jesus was somehow a created being, um, that he is a lesser God, that he is not God himself. Or it's even more crazy that he was a good man and he never claimed to be God. No. Apostle Paul would write in the Roman letter, that he was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection. It's the intro to the letter. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. He had promised before the gospel. That gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. He said all that was written before he promised it, Concerning what? Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, Messiah, our Lord, our Master, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by, how, how was He declared? By the resurrection from the dead. Okay? Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God. He was divine. He is God. Okay? If you look over in 1 John, uh, the Apostle John would summarize the purpose of the Son of God coming into the world. 1 John 3, 7 and 8, it says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, revealed, that he might destroy the works of the devil. What was one of the purposes that he was revealed? To destroy the works of the devil. Okay? You say, well, you know, Brother John, this is kind of obvious. Right? It's kind of a given. We're teaching Bible basics, so yeah. But this is also really, really, really important. This is foundational. You know, when you uh, look back in the Acts, when uh, Philip is preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, right? He's talking, he'd been reading in Isaiah, calls him up into the chariot, says, Tell me what's going on here. And Philip began to open his mouth. This is uh, Acts 8.35. He opened his mouth and began at the same scripture. Whatever one he was looking at right then, he started at that one and began to preach unto him 
Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me from be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Okay. And listen how he answered. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Not was, not could be. Thou believest with all thy heart. What does he believe? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Sometimes when preachers are doing the invitation to open in the church and asking if anyone wants to make a you know, confession before the church, that's one of the things that you're to confess when you join the church, that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Because if you don't believe that, you don't need to be joining the church yet. Either you don't understand or you haven't been given the eyes to see that yet. But that's foundational. Um, go back to 1 John. Because you cannot honestly say that without God already dwelling within you. 1 John 4.15 says, Whoever, who, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God God dwelleth in him, and he in God. You've already got the indwelling Holy Spirit. You've already been born again. You cannot confess that unless God's already there. Okay? Go down to chapter 5. Let's just start in verse 4. It says, For whatsoever is born of the world overcometh, excuse me, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Foundational. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is true. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. Three different occasions. There was a voice that came from heaven and testified that said, This is my son. Hear him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I'll be at his baptism, the Mount of Transfiguration, and at his triumphant entry into Jerusalem in the final week. Okay? So God himself has testified it. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. What's that mean? That goes back to John 14, 15. God's dwelling in you. God himself is testifying that this is my son. That's how you can believe. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not, God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, that he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. There's no other way. Jesus Christ is the only way. These things I write unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. It's written to believers. That ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Okay? This is important. Let me say this is this is this is too easy. This is too foundational. I can't stress enough that this needs to be understood. Jesus Christ is God. He is the Son of God. He is the God-man. Both the Son of God and He's also be described as the Son of Man. Okay? Now, I did a word search for that expression in the Old Testament and only came up with it once. It was also in the book of Daniel. Interestingly, and it was in the form of a prophecy, which are always fun. 
This one's pretty straightforward, though. This is Daniel chapter 7. Verse 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. Ancient of Days is another name used in the Old Testament to describe the Father. Came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Son of man, he's going to be given a kingdom, and it's an everlasting kingdom. Go back to the New Testament, and we'll see Jesus would often use this expression, Son of Man, to refer to himself. Matthew chapter 8, and in verse 20, uh, a scribe has come up to him and said, You know, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And his response to him is that the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And so as the Son of God, that title and expression and um, mantle points to the divinity and the power, all knowledge, command of all his creation, the Son of Man often points to the limitations of the human. So in one sense, God owns it all. Right? He's the creator. He created it all. And yet here, as the Son of Man, He didn't have a house. He didn't have a bed. He had a closer grasp of true poverty than anybody in this room can really understand. You know, he's the great high priest who's touched with the feelings of our infirmity, which means he knows what you're going through, even down to poverty. He knows. Later in chapter uh, 9, he would use the expression again, uh, Matthew 9 and in verse 5, revealing that the Son of Man had power on earth to forgive sins. Um, this is the, the story of the, the guy who was sick with palsy and his friends came and they lifted up the roof to try and lower him down because they couldn't get in. The, the place was so packed they couldn't get this uh, bed into the door. And so they came on the roof and busted it up and lowered him down. And he says to him, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. The people there were very upset by that. Um, who can forgive sins except for God? And he said, you know, which is easier, to say, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee, or rise up and walk. But so that you know that the Son of Man have power to forgive sins, he turns to the guy, rise up, carry your bed, and walk. And that's what he did. He demonstrated that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. Now sometimes, I'll say for a long time, I'll sit here and read that and say, how can he do that? How can he just say, your sins be forgiven? The same way that your sin that you haven't even committed yet is already forgiven. He's not taking it away there. He's telling him that it's already forgiven. Because the work that Jesus would do on the cross was so absolutely going to occur in the eyes of God. It already had. It was a given. It was guaranteed. Your sins are forgiven. You are my child. That's what he's saying. You're my child. Your sins are forgiven. And so, well, yes, you and I are admonished to go to the Lord every time that we fall short. Somehow that expression is easier than saying, Lord, I sinned. Lord, I breached your commands and your law. Lord, I let you down. Lord, I made, I brought shame to your name. I go and confess that to him. He's just and righteous to forgive us and 
clear our conscience so we can continue on in serving him because that sin too has already been paid for and already forgiven. Now, his ability to announce that comes with God's authority that he put on the Son of Man to be the judge of the world. Go to John chapter 5 and 27. John 5, 25 through 27. Verily I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. The Son of God and His divinity will hear the voice. They're dead, but they'll hear. They'll hear it and shall live. For as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in His self. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. He is uniquely qualified to be the judge of all mankind because he came and took on flesh, was tempted with everything that you and I were tempted with, and yet he did it without sin. Judgment was given to the son. Okay. Back in Matthew uh, 12, we see that the Son of Man was Lord of the Sabbath. Matthew 12. Verse 8. His disciples have been hungry. They've been walking through a field. They've had some grain there. And they're rubbing it together to get them something to eat. And the people are upset. And his response to them is if you'd known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath day. Sabbath was created for man, not, not man for the Sabbath. And here he is as the Son of Man. And all things are going to be put under his feet. Remember his kingdom, right, And Daniel? He's going to be given an everlasting kingdom. All things will be put under his feet, even the Sabbath. He is the Lord of all. Okay, go down to verse 40, that same chapter. For as Jonas was three days, now they're asking for a sign. Lord, show us a sign. And they want to see a sign from heaven, something, and then we'll believe. Because all these other miracles, they aren't really good enough. Show us a real sign. You know, something cool, like, you know, fire coming down, like Isaiah. That'd be, that'd be pretty awesome, right? No. He said, and even an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of the prophet of Jonas, Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. His divinity, Son of God, the humanity, he's able to die. He was able to to be three days and three, di- three nights in the grave. Fully God. Fully man. Now, if that's hard to wrap your head around, it's hard for them back there to wrap their head around too. Uh, John 12 and 34 as Jesus had just revealed you know, that he was going to be lifted up, signifying what manner that he should die, the people answered and said, we've heard out of the law that the Christ abideth forever. Our understanding of this Messiah, he's going to have an everlasting kingdom. And how thou sayest the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Like We don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't fit into our preconceived notions about how this is all supposed to go. It was a little confusing. Yeah. Is it wonderful? Is it true? Yeah, it is. Going back to Matthew, when, when Jesus would ask his disciples, who do men say that I am? He would just address himself that way. Of whom do men say that I am? Who say that the Son of Man? This is Matthew 16, 13. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? expression. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Is it pretty clear who the Son of Man is? Yeah, it is. Now if you go re- read Ezekiel, 
the expression son of man is going to appear like a hundred times. That's like it's actually directed to Ezekiel. I'm not looking at that. That's you were born a man, but this one, the God man, both God and man. Who do men say that? Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elias. Some say Jeremiah. He says, but who say ye? Jesus. And Simon Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Son of man, Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Can you believe that Jesus is the God-man today? If you can, that's a miracle. And it comes from God. Later in uh, that same chapter down in 24, after rebuking Peter, um, he would say unto his disciples, uh, it's Matthew 16, verse 24, says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his Christ, cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Personally, I think Jesus there is talking about John, uh, the Apostle John. Because in the revelation of Jesus Christ, he's going to see a glimpse of that day when it's coming. But he's coming. So it's pointing here at the Son of Man. He's coming and he's coming in power and glory. You'll be able to see the glory that was veiled in all its wonder. Matthew and Matthew 18.10 would give a little summary for why the Son of Man came. Matthew 18.10 and 11 says, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven there are angels who always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 11, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. The Son of Man has come to save the lost. where we were. We were lost without hope. But the Lord sent the greatest treasure and now you have a glorious hope. Hope without end. And he accomplished what he set out to do. He came to save that which is lost and he's hanging on the cross and he declares it's finished. He did it. Now the manner that he came, he didn't come as the, the triumphant king on the white horse, right? Folks talk a lot about that in comparing to the donkey, right? But he came in the form of a servant. The humility of his service. Matthew 20, verse 28. And this is as the disciples are yet again arguing about who's going to be greatest among them. And two of them have kind of asked for a preferential seating in heaven. And then he abraded them. He says, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, that they have great exercise, and that they that are great exercise authority. He says, you know, in the outside world, those that have the most power and influence, they, they've got the prestige. They've got the, the power, right? Authority. But it shall not be so among you. I already burst your bubble about who's going to be greatest. Whosoever that will be great among you, let him be your minister. It means a servant. That's right. Servant. And whosoever will be chief, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life 
a ransom for many. The humility that he took on as the Son of Man and in the role that he had. That's our model. Later in Matthew 24, you'd see another uh, description of his glorious return. Matthew 24, 23, it says, If any man shall say unto you, Lo, here's Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, if so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive even the elect, very elect. But I have told you before, Wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret chambers, believe it not. So these are people who are saying, Christ has returned. He's just out in the desert. Come on, let's go find him. He said, No. He's over here in secret. Come find No. He said, You can ignore that. It says, For wheresoever, no, so for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth all the way to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to be public. There's not a hiding of it. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after, now that seemed to me, as you all ever seen buzzards over something big? You can get a whole tower of them. Right? You can see it from miles and miles and miles away. It's public. Right? Immediately after the tribulations of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from the heaven and the powers of the earth of the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. What that sign is, I don't know. And shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven and with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. The Son of Man is coming back with great glory. That's the day that we're looking forward to. A couple more references, and we don't even have to turn there, but this is the title that Stephen would say as he's about to be stoned. Or he's one of, one of the first deacons. He's a speaking deacon. It's allowed. Um and he's given his testimony, and they're very upset about it, and so they're going to stone him. And he would look up, this is Acts 7 and 55, and he would say that he saw the Son of Man standing on the right hand of the Lord. And then later in Revelation, uh, as you see, um, one walking among the candlesticks. There again in Revelation 1 and 13, that would be the Son of Man walking among the candlesticks. We'll just read that one. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks was one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about with the paps of a golden girdle. His hair, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as the flame of fire, and his feet like undefined brass as they burned in the furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth but a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was was as the sun shineth in his strength. His face was so bright. It was like looking into the full strength of the sun. That's a glimpse at the glorified Son of Man. Son of Man, Son of God. That's our Savior. I hope this is a blessing. Thank you all. Time and attention.